Before we start the show this week, I wanted to let you know that the book I've co-authored with Mervyn Dinan is now available for pre-order. The book is called Exceptional Talent and looks at what companies are doing to attract, hire, develop and retain the very best people for their business. The book starts shipping in May, but you can reserve a discounted copy right now by going to bit.ly slash exceptional talent and using the discount code FHRET20. That's bit.ly slash exceptional talent and the discount code FHRET20. I'll also put that information in the show notes for this week's episode. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 80 of the Recruiting Future podcast. It's become very clear from the conversations I've been having with employers this year that the problem of skill shortages has never been higher on their agenda. The best companies are solving their problem here by thinking differently and tapping into some extremely valuable pools of talent they may have previously overlooked. My guest this week is Jane Hatton, who runs Evenbreak, a job board that matches talented disabled job seekers with inclusive employers. In our interview, Jane brilliantly sets out the business benefits for employers who engage with this important audience of talent. Hi, Jane, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, Matt. Good to be here. So could you tell everyone who you are and what you do? Yes. So I'm Jane Hatton, and uh, I run Evenbreak, which is a not-for-profit job board, which helps disabled candidates get in touch with employers who might be keen to access that talent. So basically, it's a job board like any other, um, but we just specialise in working with disabled candidates and inclusive employers. And how do employers um, tend to respond when you when you talk to them about attracting disabled talent? In such a variety of different ways, often um, it's a case of, oh, no, we wouldn't want to employ disabled people because it's going to cost too much or they'll be off sick all the time or there'll be a health and safety risk. Um, others will say things like, well, we know we really ought to because it's really a shame for these disabled people. But, you know, we are a business, not a charity, and we just can't afford to have passengers. And then we do get some enlightened employers who actually recognize that there is a, a really good bottom line business case for employing disabled people. And uh, and they're keen to find out more. But there's definitely a huge education piece to be done around looking at disabled candidates, not as um, charity cases, people who need a pat on the head and a bit of a chance, but as actually a pool of talent that, that are largely untapped by employers. And it's the case that the uh, candidates are almost doing the employers a favour by working for them because they bring so much of value with them. So it's certainly not a case of, of um, well, we ought to do this because it's the right thing to do. Yes, of course, it's the right thing to do. But actually, you know, we try to get employers to look at this as an issue around accessing valuable talent rather than some kind of corporate social responsibility initiative. 
I think that's really interesting because um, I I met you and I sort of heard you um, heard you talking about this at an event um, uh, event last week that the um, uh, REC were running in London, um, and in the conversation we were talking about um, talent shortages, you know, hard to find talent, um, and just what exceptional talent looks like for an organisation. And I thought what you were saying was really, really um, interesting. Uh, how, what, what aspects of the of the business case for this are there that employers should be aware of? Yeah, well, there's actually quite a lot. I mean, I think there are some generic business um, reasons for employing disabled people, which are things like, um, and there's so much research around this. And um, I can, um, you know, if any of your listeners are interested in having a, a document around this, I'm happy to send it to them. But things like um, Lots of uh, lots of research has been shown that disabled employees, on average, and of course there are always going to be individual differences, but on average, disabled employees are every bit as productive as non-disabled employees. But interestingly, in things like sickness absence, there is a, an incredible difference between the rate of sickness, sickness absence between disabled employees and non-disabled employees in that disabled employees have far less sickness absence, which actually surprises um, many people when they first hear it. But I suppose if you think about someone who's dealing with, I don't know, severe pain or other symptoms every day, and they get a bit of a sniffle, they're not going to phone in sick like maybe a non-disabled person might. So those are two things. Also, in terms of retention, disabled people tend to stay in their jobs much longer. And I know that for a lot of employers, turnover, staff turnover is a, you know, a large issue and very, very expensive if you're constantly having to recruit and retrain people. And also in terms of workplace accidents, actually the uh, research shows that disabled candidates and employees have far fewer um, accidents in the workplace. So again, they're a safer bet. And then also things like if you look at what we're now calling the purple pound, so the money that disabled people in the UK spend per year um, is around 200 billion. Um, So we're talking about, you know, if you have inside intelligence in your organisation from people who are disabled, they're able to help you tap into that customer base that's worth so much. So those are kind of general business um, benefits. But also there are lots of people who have particular impairments who might bring particular skills that others might not. Might not. So, for example, some of the employers that work with us are specifically looking to target um, candidates who are on the autism spectrum because typically, and again, you can't generalise, but typically People with autism have very rational ways of thinking, very logical ways of thinking. They can spot, for example, mistakes in coding much more quickly and accurately than the rest of us who don't think like they do. They're also very good at repetitive work. So there is um, an argument for targeting people, even with specific so-called impairments, that gives them an added advantage over and above Um, others. I heard of a case recently that hadn't really occurred to me that um, people who are blind and are braille readers are very good at examining women for um, lumps in the breast because their fingertips are so much more sensitive than anybody else. And and it's kind of looking at disability in a different way that there may be some impairment, but there may be then that might be compensated by being able to do other things better than than most people can so it's um it's very very interesting but i do think there's a, there's a wealth of talent and skills out there that 
employers really should and could be benefiting from that at the moment they're just not why are employers um you know not not doing this i think you sort of covered um you know some of the issues at the at the beginning of the at the beginning of the conversation but you know what, what are the sort of specific things that come up and ha- how should employers think about um you know attracting this type of talent into their businesses yeah i think I think the reason that people are reluctant and, um, you know, employees are reluctant, and I don't think it's ever out of malice. It's not a kind of deliberate desire to discriminate against disabled people. I think it's usually based on fear and probably ignorance. And I think certainly a lot of employers I speak to assume that if you employ a disabled person, you've pretty much got to knock down the building that you work in and completely rebuild it from scratch to make it accessible and you've got to rewrite all of your policies to make sure that everything is accessible. And actually, that's rarely the case. Well, it's never the case. So you'd have to demolish your building. But most disabled candidates need very, very few, if any, adjustments in order to work in, you know, in, a, in a workplace. And if they do need adjustments, it might be something really simple like flexible working hours or, um, you know, for somebody who's got visual impairment, making sure that the corridors are free of boxes and things to stop them tripping over. Nothing major. And if there are more expensive adaptations that people might need, they might need assistive technology. Then the government has um, an initiative called Access to Work, which will help organisations to identify things that will help, but also to pay all of or towards that expense. So I think that a lot of the fears that people have are based are based not in reality, but in um, not really knowing enough about what it all entails. And it's it's usually much, much more simple than than anybody thinks. And certainly employers that we work with who have started employing disabled people are amazed, A, how easy it is, and B, how it's worth it, because then you get that talent that you might not have otherwise had. But having said all that, you know, that that yes, organisations should be trying to tap into this talent pool, Disabled people are notoriously a difficult group to attract, and that's for a number of reasons, but mostly because there is a history for disabled people of being discriminated against, either um, in the recruitment process or in in the workplace, and so um, people are reluctant to apply. Why would you keep knocking your head against that brick wall? Certainly when I talk to our candidates, their experience is that if you send a CV Um, for a job with a covering letter that says oh by the way I have this impairment they will never get asked for interview if they don't mention their impairment and they do get asked for interview and then they say something like is it in an accessible building because I use a wheelchair that's when they're rejected so their experiences the minute I mention my impairment wherever it happens in the recruitment process is the moment I get rejected you can understand why they might be a little bit more um, reluctant to apply for jobs So what employers need to do in order to overcome that is to make um, a special effort. It's not enough just to say a throwaway comment on a job advert like we're an equal opportunities employer because nobody's going to state openly they're going to discriminate against disabled people. Um, So employers really need to work that bit harder to convince disabled talent that applying to their organisation is worth it because they are looking for the, the talents and skills rather than being worried about the impairments. So they can do things like um, positive action. So that could mean advertising in um, disability journals. So journals like Disability Now or Possibility um, Enable. So they're going to where disabled candidates might be. 
or they might use particular charities or um, they can use um, specialist job boards like Evenbreak because our candidates tell us that if an organisation has gone that little step further and paid to advertise in a place which makes it clear they're going to take those applications seriously, A, the, the candidate's more likely to apply because they believe that they won't be immediately discounted, and B, they're interestingly, they're more likely to be open about their impairment, which makes the rest of the recruitment process so much more easy because then any adjustments that might be needed can be put in place right from the start. So I think it's just a case of employers having to go that extra mile to convince disabled candidates that they will be welcome, that um, they will be looked at in terms of have you got the skills and the talents we're looking for, and if there are reasonable adjustments that they will be accommodated. And as I say, rarely that there are adjustments anyway. And so in terms of the sort of recruitment process itself, is there anything that employers should uh, should, should should be aware of in, in, in terms of making their um, the recruitment process work in the best possible way? Well, yes. I think um, we tend to do what we've always done without really questioning it. And um, for a lot of disabled people, there will be touch points in the recruitment process that will make them come up against a brick wall. So, for example, a lot of um, employers will insist on an online application, and that may not work for everybody. Um, Interviews are seen as the kind of only way to assess people's uh, readiness to do a particular job. And some people are very, very, I mean, we know this as recruiters, some people are brilliant at selling themselves at interview, but not very good at the job. And other people who may be great at the job just aren't very good at selling themselves. But if you're disabled, you know, if you're deaf or if you're autistic, then actually you're not going to sell. You're not really going to shine at interviews in the same way that maybe your non-disabled colleagues will. So it's really about being flexible, allowing different ways of applying for jobs, whether it can be online or offline or or help to complete an application form, um, realising that CVs don't always reflect the talent of the person that's that's uh, written it. And also looking at different ways of assessing talent. So yes, you might use interviews, but you might also use work trials or tests, um, you know, other ways of finding out if a candidate is really the right person for the job. I'm sure we've all been in the situation where we've you know, seen a brilliant CV and, and, and a great interview and then take somebody on and be really disappointed that they haven't lived up to expectations. So I think it's about being flexible and looking at each touch point in the um, recruitment process to see if it could be inadvertently off-putting or, or excluding completely um, some disabled candidates who might wish otherwise to apply. So which employers are doing this well? Who, um, uh, who, who's making a great, a great job of this? Yeah, I think, you know, when I, when employers talk to us, sometimes they'll say, you know, we haven't got everything right yet. And, um, and I do think it's a journey. So I don't think anybody's got it right. I think it's about continuing to learn and improve on what we're doing. But there are organizations that stand out, like, for example, Channel 4. Um, you know, they, they have done a lot of work in terms of broadcasting. So, that, you know, they did the Paralympics. Um, they had disabled uh, reporters on. They have the disabled newsreaders. So in front of the camera, as it were, but they're really now working hard to get it right behind the scenes as well. So that it's not just a person in front of the camera um, that's disabled, but also that their production teams or their, their support teams are also representative of the population. So they're working really hard in terms of looking at um, their recruitment process, advertising in places like Evenbreak, um, but also doing things like holding um, 
apprenticeships specifically for disabled candidates so that they're doing quite a lot of positive action. And I think if you talk to candidates about, you know, which which employees really stand out as employers who are at least trying their best in this area, Channel 4 would come, you know, fairly high on that list. And I don't think disabled people would hesitate if they got the right skills, obviously, that they were looking for to go for a job with Channel 4. So that's an obvious one. But I think some of the others, and, and probably where you wouldn't expect, some of the banks are doing a lot of good work in this area. In diversity, generally, you know, a lot have done lots of good good work with attracting women, uh, doing more flexible working for parents of young children or carers of, of um, other people in their family. Um, but Lloyds Bank, for example, are exceptionally good at um, reasonable adjustments, so workplace adjustments. They have a team of people and a, a robust process that will really support employees who need particular support, whether it's mental health support or whether it's assistive technology or whether it's flexible working, whatever it might be, that's done systematically across the whole of the organisation. And it's working really well. They're, they're attracting some amazing talent that they perhaps wouldn't have otherwise done so. So if there are any employers um, listening who want to attract more disabled people to their to their business, what, what's what's your advice in terms of, I suppose, firstly, the, the first thing that they should that they should do the first step on the journey? Um, and secondly, uh, where they can go to, you know, find, find more information and to to educate them more, more, more fully on this topic. Yeah, I think the first thing for, the, for them to do really is to be very clear on the why they want to um, attract disabled candidates. Um, if it's because they think it's going to make them look good or it's going to fill their corporate social responsibility targets, then that, that's fine. But actually, it needs to be much more of a robust business case. So I think they need to be making a real business case within their organisation about, you know, we have an issue with high staff turnover. What can we do about that? Well, actually, employing disabled people could be one way. So they need to really find out the um, expectations that they're trying to fill by employing disabled people. And then, um, as I said before, I think they need to be going the extra mile so that disabled people are confident to be able to um, apply to them. The government has a a scheme called disability confidence, uh, which is relatively new and still in its early stages. But there's certainly information that they can find about that. There's an organisation called Purple, which can be Googled, which will give them lots of information on disability confidence. Um, Obviously, we'd be very happy to talk to employers about a range of strategies that they could use. And actually, interestingly, what we're doing currently um, is uh, developing a best practice portal so that employers can use us not just to advertise their vacancies, but also to um, learn about good practice from other organisations who've already been there and done it rather than trying to reinvent the wheel so we'd certainly be very happy to discuss with no obligation obviously uh, with any employers you know other places that they could go and we can recommend other providers that would be useful as well so very happy to have that conversation with anybody we're a social enterprise so um, our mission is to make the world of work much more accessible inclusive to disabled people whether that results in business for us or, or not is is less relevant jane thank you very much for talking to me my pleasure thank you My thanks to Jane Hatton. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, or via your podcasting app of choice. Just search for Recruiting Future. You can find all the past episodes at www.rfpodcast.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list and find out more about working with me. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next week. 
and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.